0: As followers of Christ, it's so easy for us to lose our bearings. Without realizing it, we begin to think and act as if this world is our final destination, as if our identity and security is found in temporary things. However, the Apostle Peter tells us that we are elect exiles looking forward to our future hope at Christ's return. Regardless of our current circumstances, our identity is in Christ. Welcome to the Radical with David Platt podcast, the latest sermons from teacher, author, at Pastor David Platt Delivered Weekly. As always, you can find thousands of more gospel-centered, nations-minded resources over at our website, Radical.net. Well, in today's message from 1 Peter 1, verses 1-3, through David Platt urges us to find our security and our hope in Jesus Christ and His salvation. Here's Pastor David Platt with a sermon titled, Elect Exiles, from 1 Peter chapter 1.
1: Well, if you have a Bible, and I hope you or somebody around you does that you can look on with, let me invite you to open with me to First Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, and while you're turning there, let me just say that if you were not with us last Sunday, I want to encourage you to listen to the message I shared then, because it gave a lot of context for how we are moving forward together as a church this fall. I shared specific ways that I'll come back to at the end of our time together today to get connected to groups, to classes, to service opportunities across all of our locations and beyond our locations. We have classes online for... Anybody from anywhere to be a part of, including a, a midweek class that I'm teaching on foundations for life in Christ and leadership in the church. So I'll walk through just a reminder how you can find all those places. The point is we just don't want anyone to walk through these days alone in their faith. Like it's vitally important, one of the pictures we showed last week, just to get and to stay connected to each other. Then last week, I shared how we're going to begin a new series today through the book of First Peter in the Bible, so a series that we are titling United by Hope. So picture the ropes that guys on stage last week with me here were holding. We talked about how we have various disagreements about different things in the church, but we are united together around Jesus and his word, and I want to show you specifically in First Peter over the coming weeks how we're united by the hope we have in Jesus. It changes everything about our lives. So when we were praying about what book to study together this fall, 1 Peter quickly rose to the top because it was written to Christians walking through hard times, and it was written to Christians in a world that was hostile to God and his word. And as we look at our lives and the church right now, I'd say we're walking through unusually hard times, the effects of a historic pandemic still weighing on people in so many different ways, and we're definitely living in a setting, specifically a country that is, I would say, in many ways increasingly hostile to God and His Word, which is why I can't wait for us, for you, for me, for us to hear together God's word to us in these days. It's interesting. Peter was likely written, for the book of First Peter was likely written from Rome when Peter was there. And Rome was the seat of the government for the Roman Empire. So he's writing from Rome to Christians spread throughout the Roman Empire in the first century. So if we were going to use our country as an example, it'd be like Peter writing this letter from Washington, D.C., to Christians spread throughout the United States in the 21st century. So here's what the Bible says, first three verses. As a reminder, I wanna challenge those of you who are up for it, so kids, teenagers, adults, from the youngest to the oldest, you can do this to memorize 1 Peter chapter one together this fall. So it's just a verse or two a week, and in the end, you'll have a chapter of the Bible hidden in your heart. So if you're taking that challenge, let me invite you to say this out loud without looking. For the rest, let' me invite you to read this out loud with me. First Peter chapter one, verses one through three. This is the word of God. Peter, let's say it out loud together in this room and wherever you're joining Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who were elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. All right, we'll stop there today. Will you pray with me? God, please help us to understand the wonder of what you just said, of what you are saying to us today amidst all that's going on in our lives and in the world around us. Please do in the next few minutes what only you can do through your spirit and your word. Would you please unite us around the hope we have in Jesus. And God, I pray that in the next few minutes there might be some listening who experience hope and life in Jesus for the first time today. Only your spirit can do these things. So we pray that you would supernaturally speak to us right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Who are you? So that's the question I had to answer First moment of coaching my kids' sports teams this fall. So I'm coaching two flag football teams and helping coach a soccer team, fully masked, by the way, and wearing out hand sanitizer all throughout practice and games. So at our first practice, we had to come up with a team name, which is a stressful exercise with a bunch of kids and a bunch of opinions. But my teams finally landed on the Tigers, the Blue Lightning, and the football team. In honor of the Washington football team, we're just the football (laughs) team. The whole game, I'm like, come on, football team. Great job, football team. So anyway, defining who we are was important before we even took the field. What I want to show you today is that that is all the more true in your life and in my life. The truth I wanna show you today in 1 Peter chapter one, verse one through three, is that we must understand who we are. I think that's got the whole screen there. Just let me try that again. We must understand, there we go, who we are before God in order to understand how to live in this world. So let me say that again. You might write it down. We must understand who we are before God in order to understand how to live in this world. So this is true for all of us, regardless of whether or not we are Christians, followers of Jesus. Over the next few minutes though, I want to speak specifically to Christians. I want to show you, I hope in a way that soaks into your heart as you are listening, God's answer to the question, who are you? I want to show you who we are, basically, what God says our team name is. Because the answer to that question is really important. I was trying to think this week of how to picture this and thought of an illustration. It is not a perfect illustration, it will break down at many points, but I hope it will be helpful. So let me introduce you to Kimba Walker, who is going to join me up here throughout our time together. So, standout college basketball player at the University of Connecticut. Scoring more points his junior year than anyone else in college basketball. Appearing on the cover of Sports Illustrated Magazine. Left college early for the NBA, where he was drafted in the first round by, so let me pull out a jersey from over here. He was drafted by the Charlotte Bobcats. Let's put this Charlotte jersey on Kimba and try not to knock him over. Now, as I put this jersey on Kimba, oh no, I think I've got him in his arm. Just a second there. There we go. Okay. So, as I put Kimba's Charlotte jersey on, let me tell you a little bit about the Bobcats. They have the honor of being the worst team in the history of the NBA. Like no other team has ever been as bad as the Charlotte Bobcats. Specifically, in the first season that Kimball Walker was on the team. In that season, out of 66 games, the Bobcats won seven of them. That year, they had both a worse offense than every other team and a worse defense than every other team in the NBA. Not a good combination. They were so bad that the next year they announced they would change their team name to the Hornets. But that did not help. Over the next seven seasons, Kimba Walker was on a team that never once won a playoff series, a part of a team that never once even competed for a championship. A team that has never had a player in the Hall of Fame who played most of their seasons for that team. But then, last year, something happened. Kimba Walker was traded to another team. So let's take off his Bobcats jersey, and let's see, what team did he go to? Kimba Walker was traded to the Boston Celtics. So, as I put this jersey on, let me tell you a little bit about the Boston Celtics. This jersey a little smaller. Kimba did not shrink in the process, but the jersey size is not exactly the same. The Celtics. So, in contrast to the Bobcats, the Boston Celtics are the most successful team in the history of the NBA. They have won more championships than any other team. They have more players in the Hall of Fame than any other team. In other words, Kimball Walker went from being on the worst team in the history of the NBA to being on the winningest team in the history of the NBA. And everything changed when he put on this jersey to the point where last night, Kimba Walker was playing in the NBA Conference Finals with Hall of Famers looking on instead of sitting at home watching them on TV without anyone looking on. Now, you say, what does this have to do with First Peter 1 and my life? And in answer to that question, if you are a Christian, I want to show you today that the team you were on, according to First Peter 1, changes everything about how you understand, view your life in this world. That if you will realize what team you are on, what jersey you are wearing, it will totally change everything in your life in this world and the way you view this world. How you view other people, how you view your job or school, how you view the news, sports, politics, arts, possessions, everything. I would go so far as to say that most, if not all, of our struggles in life, individually and together as a church, come from forgetting what team you and I are on. So, what is our team name? And by the way, I'll offer a quick but important caveat here. Like one of the limits of this illustration, using team language, I'm not trying to picture Christians in opposition to or competition with other people on other teams in this world, so don't take this illustration that way. I'm just really just driving at who God says we are. And for those of you who may not yet be Christians, I want to show you who a Christian is, I hope, in a way, that you might say today, I, I want to be that. So, with that caveat, on this first day in First Peter, what is our team name? And here it is, right there in First Peter, chapter one, verse one. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles. So let's let's actually make that all caps. Elect exiles that is according to God our team name has a nice ring to it doesn't it not the Charlotte Bobcats or the Boston Celtics you Christian right where you are listening right now you are on the elect exiles and I so want you to realize what it means to be a part of this team so four things that are true of everybody on this scene. You write, write these down. Four things that are true of you, who you are as a follower of Jesus. So one, as part of the elect exiles, you are, and I'll write it up here, you are a stranger in a foreign land. You are a stranger in a foreign land. That's what this word exile means. Different Bible translations use different words here. Some say exile, some say foreigner, some say stranger, some say alien. The whole concept is you're a temporary resident in a foreign place. Like you're a citizen of another country and you're living for the time being in a foreign country but you're not in your homeland. You actually long for your homeland yet you live in this foreign land. And of course you honor and you respect people, the customs of that land, but you don't adopt everything that foreign country does because you don't ultimately belong there, which is hard. I've read a couple books recently, one written by a North Korean who had escaped North Korea and now lives in South Korea, another by a Syrian woman who fled Syria with her family in the middle of war there, tried to get to Europe by boat with her fiance and hundreds of others until, like many stories we've read, that boat capsized she and only a couple of other people out of hundreds survived. And to hear both of them share, this North Korean man, Syrian woman, about how hard it is to live in a land where no one understands you. Everything seems foreign to you. And I'm talking to a congregation where so many of you have experienced and still experience this, who have come from different countries. Many of you first generation, others second or third generation where there can still be some struggle with identity. And what's interesting is that's the way God describes all of us as Christians in this world. Think about it. Peter writes here to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now keep in mind, some of the people to whom Peter was writing were born in Pontus, Galatia, cappadocia asia and bithynia they were citizens of the roman empire in those places but that's the point of what peter is saying by calling them exiles who are dispersed god is telling his people that even if they were born and raised in the home they're living in right now that's not their home it's not their homeland they have a different home in a different homeland. They may be temporary citizens of these parts of the Roman Empire, but they're foreigners there. Their citizenship is elsewhere, in another country, to use language from Paul in Philippians chapter three that we looked at this summer. Their citizenship is in heaven. Listen to this language from Hebrews chapter 11 talking about those who are on God's team who've gone before us, the Bible says, they all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles, same word, exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus, make it clear, they are seeking a homeland, like another homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they'd gone out, They would have opportunity to return, but as it is, they desire a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be their God, for he has prepared for them a city, a whole nother place. So I just want to take this language and apply it to you, me, us right now. Like here in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, God is saying to us in this gathering, particularly as McLean Bible Church in Metro Washington, D.C., God is saying to us, okay, today, to all the foreigners living in Fairfax County, in Montgomery County, and Loudoun County, and Prince William County, and Arlington County, and then beyond these counties, to the people living across This This is the Bible saying to all of you foreigners who are living in the United States. So hear that language. God labels you a foreigner in this country, in the United States. God tells us we're strangers in a foreign land. Like most of us may be citizens of the United States. And on a side note, we should be thankful for so much that goes with that. Thankful for all kinds of people across our church and beyond our church, in the military, the government, and law enforcement, who spend their lives protecting freedom, promoting good in our country and in other countries for that matter. We are and should be extremely thankful. Yet, our citizenship in this country is extremely temporary, meaning we're foreigners in the United States because we belong to another country. We have another homeland that we long for and fight for and live for far more than this one. That's why in this book on voting that I wrote, amidst all the rhetoric in an election season from all sides, all sides, I encourage us just to guard our hearts because the ultimate aim of our hearts is not the good of our nation. As much as that's a good desire, it's not our ultimate aim. It would be our ultimate aim if our ultimate citizenship and allegiance were here, but they're not. Like we're only here for a little while. We are foreigners here. Our ultimate allegiance and citizenship. Or in another country, a heavenly one, which means our ultimate aim is not the good of our nation. Our ultimate aim is the spread of the gospel and the glory of our God in our nation and to all the nations. Now we're starting to see how our understanding of who we are changes the way we view the world around us and live in it. It'd be like Kimball Walker going back to Charlotte as Part of the Celtics, when he gets there, he starts playing like he's on the Bobcats. His coach would be like, dude, you're not a Bobcat. Remember, you don't want to be a Bobcat. It's not your team. That's what God is saying to us today. He's saying to you and me, you are exiles here. Like, this is not your country. Don't ever forget this. You're a foreigner here, so live like it. Don't adopt all the customs and patterns and priorities of this country. Sure, respect and honor the land you're in, whatever country it might be, United States or otherwise, but live different because you don't belong there. It's not your home. God is saying, God is saying to us right now, you're in exile here. And you're not just exiles. You're elect exiles. Oh, this is good. So think about what this means. What what makes us exiles? What makes you a stranger in a foreign land? And the answer is the election of God. That's the word he uses, elect. So the second thing to write down, this will take us into verse two. As part of the elect exiles, what makes you a foreigner in this country, in this world, is that you are, so let's go to verse two, you are, I'll write it here at the top, eternally, this is what it means to be on this team, an elect exile, it means you are eternally loved by God the Father. You are an elect exile according to the foreknowledge of God the the father so elect let's think let's think about this word it's common to us right now this season in our country to choose someone and the jaw dropping reality of first peter chapter 1 is that god the father has elected chosen you to be on his team which begs the question why This is another place where our Kimba Walker illustration breaks down because the Celtics chose Kimba Walker to be on their team because Kimba Walker is a really good basketball player. They wanted him because of his performance. But that's not why God the Father wanted you or me. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, two reasons. One, your performance and my performance has not been and has never been worthy of being chosen by the holy God of the universe. In fact, everything in our performance has shouted, you don't want me to God. Because we have shouted to God, we don't want you. Every one of us listening right now has rebelled against God. This is true of every one of our hearts. All of us have run from God's ways to our own ways. And if God let us continue, And the path we choose, then we would all be on a road right now that leads to eternal separation from him in judgment. And to think any differently is to be deceived about your own heart. But thankfully, God chose to rescue us from that road And this is the other reason we know it was not based on our performance because the Bible said God chose, elected us according to his foreknowledge. So what does that word mean, foreknowledge? Does that mean just God knew in advance that we were gonna choose him? No. This word means that God decided long ago before you were even born, before you even stepped Foot on the court of life God decided to love and pursue you. Listen to how the Bible uses this language elsewhere. Romans chapter 8 verse 29 For those God foreknew same word there, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. God destined you to be saved from your sin by his son Jesus. So if you're not Uh, Christian, let me pause here and just make this really clear. How is this possible for us and our sin to be destined to be saved from our sin? That's only possible through what Jesus, the Son of God, has done on a cross. We've all sinned against God and God has sent His Son, Jesus, to pay the price for all of our sin against God. He's taken The penalty, the judgment do all of us in our sin upon himself. He died on a cross and then he rose from the grave, conquering sin and death. So that anyone, anywhere who trusts in Jesus can be forgiven of all their sin and restored to relationship with God experiencing his love. And that's what, so Ephesians chapter one, verse three puts it this way. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him. He's talking about Christians. Chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace. Did you hear that? Before the foundation of the world, God chose to love you. God destined to adopt you as his child to save you from your sin Not because of anything you had done. You weren't even born. Not because of anything you would do. Because you rebelled against him as soon as you had the opportunity. The only reason you're on God's team, in God's family, is because of his glorious grace. You're an elect exile. Because of his foreknowledge, his grace. This is so foundational for every Christian to realize that you are on the team, not because you made it with your performance, but because God called you by his grace. I love the way Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite pastors in history, describes this. He describes the moment when he first realized what it means to be elected by God, loved by God. He said, when I was coming to Christ, I thought I was doing it all myself. And though I sought the Lord earnestly, I had no idea the Lord was seeking me. I do not think the young Christian is at first aware of this. I can recall the very day and hour when first I received the truth of election in my own soul, and I can recollect how I felt. I had grown on a sudden from a babe into a man. That I had made progress in scriptural knowledge through having found once for all the clue to the truth of God. Spurgeon says, "One week night when I was sitting in the house of God, I was not thinking much about the preacher's sermon." I don't know what that means. Hope you're not there right now. (laughs) If you are, maybe you'll have a Spurgeon-like moment. Anyway, so he said, I wasn't thinking about what the preacher was talking about, and the thought struck me. How did you come to be a Christian? I sought the Lord, I thought. But how did you come to seek the Lord? The truth flashed across my mind in a moment. I should not have sought him unless there had been some previous influence in my mind to make me seek him. I prayed, thought I. But then I asked myself, how came I to pray? Well, I was induced to pray by reading the scriptures. How came I to read the scriptures? I did read them, but what led, the, led me to do so? Then, in a moment, I saw that God was at the bottom of it all, that he was the author of my faith. And so the doctrine of grace opened up to me, and from that doctrine I have not departed to this day, and I desire to make this my constant confession. I ascribe my change wholly to God. Yes, like Spurgeon says, I realized in that moment I am who I am because of who God says I am. And that changes Everything, this fundamentally defines, just let it soak in in your heart, this fundamentally defines who you are. In a world that tries to define you in all sorts of other ways, hear this loud and clear, no one and nothing else defines you. Your job does not define you. Your net worth does not define you. Your possessions, your house, your car do not define you. Your physical appearance, does not define you. Your ethnicity does not define you. Your nationality does not define you. Your political party does not define you. Your marital status does not define you. Your past does not define you. Your critics do not define you. The God of the universe says, I define you and you are loved by me. And he says, I have loved you. Let it soak in. Just hear these words from God to your heart right now. He says, I have loved you from before time even began. Like, let that thought totally transform the way you wake up every morning, the way you go through hard days, the way you walk through challenging times. You just remember if you're walking through them right now just remember that the one who matters most the god of the universe loves you and cares for you and is committed to you and he has been from the beginning of time and he will be for all time which is also radically hope giving isn't it like just apply this to the current season in our country with all sorts of tension and unrest in an election year like church, we don't have to worry about this election. Sure, we are rightly and biblically concerned about all kinds of issues in an election, including this one, but we are not worried because God tells all those who are on his team, you don't have to have to worry about anything. Don't worry about anything. We saw it in Philippians chapter four, anything. That includes elections. You know why? Because throughout history, leaders have risen and leaders have fallen. Presidents have come and presidents have gone. And through it all, one king has remained constant. And regardless of who is president in our country, our king will be in control. We are elect exiles of his kingdom and he loves us. That means we don't have to worry about anything. Nothing. Nothing. Like, this changes everything to realize you are eternally loved by God the Father. And not just that, so it's an elect exile. You're eternally loved by God the Father, and you are set apart, so let's write this one down, set apart by God the Spirit. See, the whole trinity involved in this picture we're running out of time. Let's pick up the pace. So God says you're elect exiles in the sanctification of the Spirit. Now that word sanctification means to set apart for a purpose. So here's the picture. And we're going to see this unfold as First Peter progresses. But God has put us on this team for a reason that we might experience his life in us according to the supernatural power of his Holy Spirit in us. Right, we've talked before about how we are destined, you are destined for awesome. Romans chapter eight, verse 29, I quoted earlier from, those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. What that means is, as part of this team of elect exiles, we are destined By the supernatural power of God's Holy Spirit in us, to become more and more and more like Jesus in each of our lives. Which let me go ahead. I'll put this fourth thing up about what it means to be an exile, an elect exile, and then we'll tie it all together. To be an elect exile means you are united with. God the Son. So in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. So get this picture. You're loved by God the Father, as a stranger in a foreign land, loved by God the Father, set apart by God the Spirit to experience life with God the Son, in obedience to Him. So just think, think this, like. Put it together like practically, like the more we become like Jesus, the more you become like Jesus, the more you experience the abundant life God has created you to live. The more you become like Jesus, the more you experience the supernatural fruit of his spirit in you. The more we become like Jesus, the more we experience love and joy and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Like Who among us doesn't want all of those things in ever-increasing measure? And, And this is what we're elected for, to experience life like this. A life united with Jesus in all of his humility and integrity and purity and compassion and mercy. And isn't this not just what we want, isn't this what we want to live before others with in this world? That's what we want to give to others. Like the greatest gift I can give my wife and my kids is to look more like Jesus tomorrow than I do today. That's their greatest need from me as husband, as dad. Your spouse, your kids, your parents, their greatest need from you is for you to look more like Jesus. The greatest need your coworkers have, your neighbors have, is for you to look more like Jesus, to live more like Jesus, to love more like Jesus. This is good for us, this is good for others. A life united with Jesus, walking with Jesus. Yet, we all fall short, don't we? I do, you do, we all do. And that's what's so beautiful about this last phrase. And, for sprinkling with his blood. Oh, we don't have time to go back to Exodus chapter 24 today, see the background here. But when God's people entered into covenant relationship with him, blood was sprinkled over them as a picture of God's faithfulness to them, even when they would be unfaithful to him. And here in 1 Peter, God is reminding us in a much greater way that when we fall short, the blood of Jesus Christ covers over our sins. Like we're united in his life and his death for our sins and and in his resurrection from the grave. Like we'll talk more about verse three next week. Remember what it said though? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy. Again, not our performance, his mercy. He has caused us, he did this He caused us to be born again, like new team, new team, born again to a living hope through what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Do you see it? Like as an exile, we have living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. We're looking forward to another homeland. We look at conflict, tension, struggles, trials all around us in this world and the good news is this is not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. And we have another country we're going to and that country and life free from sorrow, free from sin, free from struggle with our God is guaranteed. Why? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In other words, you have a life United with Jesus that will never, ever end. And even when you die, you will live forever with him. As part of this team. Like, I think about this illustration. So I cannot imagine what it is like to put on a Celtics jersey. I will never, like, I could put this jersey on, but rightfully put on a Celtics jersey on a basketball court. And just think about who you share that jersey with. Like, you're wearing the same jersey as Bill Russell. Dude won 11 championships in his 13-year career. Like, most guys never win a championship. He won one most every year he played. He was so good in big games, the NBA created and then named the finals MVP trophy after him. Like, his name is on the MVP trophy. And you're wearing his jersey, or you're wearing the same jersey as Larry Bird, Larry the legend. Dude at 1.1, back-to-back-to-back MVP awards, like totally dominating the league. Over 21,000 points, over 10,000 rebounds, over 5,000 assists. And I can list the names of 36 other Hall of Famers who've worn this Celtics jersey, but I have a better list to give you. i just want you to realize as i list a few names the team that you are on i want you to realize who you right where you're sitting right now who you share a jersey with you you put on this elect exiles jersey you're wearing the same jersey as moses did The man who led God's people out of slavery lifted up his hands and saw an entire sea split in front of him. You're wearing the same jersey as Hannah did, who cried out for a child in her barrenness and God gave her a son named Samuel. You're wearing the same jersey as Elijah, who stood against hundreds of false prophets, called down fire from heaven and rain from the sky. You're wearing the same jersey as Ruth who walked a hard road of heartache, grief, pain, and loss that eventually led to redemption she never could have dreamed of. You are wearing the same jersey as Ezekiel who we're gonna read this week in our Bible reading how when his precious wife died, he wasn't even allowed to mourn, yet he trusted in God you're wearing the same jersey as Peter as James and John and Mary and Martha who saw Jesus who sat at his feet who walked at his side who watched him die then gave their lives spreading his love you keep going you're wearing the same jersey as Polycarp he was 86 years old When he was taken to the stake, told to worship the Roman emperor or burn, he said, how can I blaspheme my king and savior? You threaten me with fire that burns for a season and after a little while is quenched, but you are ignorant of the fire of everlasting punishment that is prepared for the wicked. So they set him ablaze and he prayed, I bless you, Father, for judging me worthy of this hour that I might share the cup of Christ. You're wearing the same jersey as Perpetua, 22 years old. She had just had a baby when she was in prison for becoming a follower of Jesus. She refused to recant her faith and they threw her to wild beasts in the arena. And I could go on and on and on and on with name after name after name in history and all of them, all who've worn this jersey have realized that they were strangers here. They were living for another land because they were being led by another king but captain of this team the ultimate elect exile, Jesus, God in the flesh. 1 Peter chapter one, verse 20 says, foreknown by the father, sent as the son to pay the price for sinners like you and me to die on a cross and then three days later, our captain rose from the grave. Captain of our team has conquered death and before he ascended into heaven, he commissioned his team to make his love and his grace and his glory known to the ends of the earth and this, this is the team you're on. And they're all up in heaven right now, all of them cheering you on. In the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of whatever you're walking through, they are cheering you on and me on. And they're saying, don't forget who you are. You are eternally loved by God, the Father. You are set apart by God, the Spirit. You are united with God, the Son. So live as a stranger here in this world. Don't live for what this world lives for. No, put all your hope, all your hope, all your hope every day, All your hope in the world to come, and in the process, church, don't forget—you're on the same team. We're on the same team. We're elect exiles, united by hope. So, will you you pray with me? You bow your heads with me. I just. uh... I wanna ask you, first and foremost, just with your heads bowed, wherever you're sitting in this room or listening somewhere else, like, are you an elect exile? Like, are, are you, as we walk to this word, are you, are you thinking all throughout this time, yes, that's me, that's, that's, that's me. Not because of your performance, because you have put all your trust in Jesus to save you from your sins. And if the answer to that question is no, not trust in Jesus to save you from your sins, to lead you as Lord of your life, and I invite you, today's the day, today's the day, A God is calling your name right now, and I invite you to say yes, just pray in your heart right there, just to say, and Christian, just pray for those who are experiencing this work of the Spirit in their hearts right now, just pray you want to trust in Jesus, say, God, I, I have turned from your ways to my ways. I have rebelled against you, but today, today, I trust in what Jesus has done on the cross for me. Today, I believe that he died for my forgiveness he died so I might have life. So today I receive that life. Today I receive your love. Today I experience by faith in you living hope. I right, urge you trust in Jesus. And then for all who have, God help us. Help us to realize, to remember every moment, every morning we wake up, every. Everything we do, every single word we speak, word we type, thought we have, desire we have, decision we make, action we take, help us to do it all as elect exiles. And strangers here, loved by you, and set apart by your spirit, United with Jesus, may his life be ours. Individually and together as a church in ever-increasing measure, we pray. Please bless our time in First Peter together toward that end. that we might indeed be, as your people, united by hope as elect exiles. Thank you, thank you, thank you, oh God, for the privilege of being on this team. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: We are only seven days away from the release of David Platt's brand new book, Before You Vote, Seven Questions Every Christian Should Ask. Election season is obviously right around the corner here in the U.S. And our current political climate certainly presents unique challenges for Christians. And so in this new book, David, urges every Christian to ask these seven critical questions before even casting a ballot. Questions that are based on biblical truths and not political talking points. It's nonpartisan, practically helpful, and most importantly, biblically saturated. As I mentioned, we are seven days away from the official release of Before You Vote, but you can pre-order your copy right now at Radical.com. Well, that's all for today's episode. I'm your host, Thomas Bowen. Until next time, join us there at Radical.net.